As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Hello. Welcome to Brothers in Arms, brought to you by Catholic Men for Jesus Christ, with your hosts, George Rose and Bill Maher. Stay tuned as George, Bill, and their guests discuss topics relevant to Catholic men living out their faith in today's challenging world. And now, here are the hosts of Brothers in Arms, George Rose and Bill Maher. Good evening, my brothers. This is Bill Maher. I'm here with my co-host, George Rose, having operating difficulties. Please stand by moments. No, I, I can hear myself now, Billy. It's just not as well as I usually can. You but should it's see, all folks, good. if you guys had a camera into this radio station, you could see the producer's eyes bulging as he looks at George. George is like a little kid right now, banging on every button. I'm like, I'm like the, uh, the, the runner in the Olympics who stumbles across the finish line. Oh, like, that, that was barely... not a stumble. He fell. He, he's collapsed. <laughs> well, welcome. Terrified that my mic isn't on. Anyway, December eleventh, twenty twenty. You know, every time I come before this mic, I'm like, my gosh, there's so much to talk about. There's so much you can't even talk about. It's just, it's unbelievable. This yeah. world, this world is on fire. Yeah, twenty twenty. What a year, huh? Unbelievable. This is going to be our last show in twenty twenty, and it's almost like one of those, you know, good riddance. <laughs> You know what, Billy? I think it's speaking of that, it's uh, end of year four. We're going to go be going into year five for the Brothers in Arms radio show. Bam, folks. Year five. Yep. It has been such an absolute pleasure to sort of talk to you guys. I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm talking directly to you guys and, and ladies, whether you're driving on the roads uh, at the time this is aired or anywhere in the world, you know, and technically this is on podcast as well. This is being aired as well. So, Oh, we are heard around the world, Billy. We're internationally we, we, famous. We, we, the shot heard around the world. Brothers in arms. <laughs> <laughs> it's us. <laughs> but uh, anyway, going. I mean, it's just, this is crazy. I, I have never in my life, I, I mentioned this to you earlier, George. I said, you know, 10 years ago, if I said the world would be the way it is right now, I would have argued with you. I, I wouldn't have believed that. I've become... You know, with regards to the world of men, very cynical, right? Yeah. Um, and that's, a, in some sense, that's a good thing because I'm trusting much more in mm. divine mm. power at this point. And I think that that's some of the grace that's coming out of this as as artifices of, of, of you know, things that we we, 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 we fought with a belt bulk rock of society. It's amazing falling. how quickly it, it can all uh, Crazy. come down, isn't it? It is. <laughs> It, how speaking, fragile it all you know, is. It's funny. The whole Jericho march is going on this Saturday where they're going to mm. march uh, around the, uh, the Capitol, Supreme the Capitol. Court. Yeah, that's right. Um, and and they're calling on people to actually, if you can't, there, there's there's local marches too in, in, at local uh, sites of government. But also, if you can't even do that, around your house seven times praying mm. with the idea of bringing down corruption, bringing mm. down, and regardless of whether you're a Democrat or Republican, you can get behind bringing down corruption, right? I would think so. Yeah. yeah. Because clearly there's a lot of corruption out there. There's a lot of sin out there. There's a lot of brokenness out there. And it seems like, it seems like it's winning. We know we're going to win in the end, but there's a reason why you are, have been born and are living in this time. Mm. And it's not to sit on your tush, yep. you know, while, while you're driving after this show is over, pray. Yeah. And you, you know, know what, Billy, a lot of people in this country don't realize the fundamental problem in the United States is sin. No, no right? doubt about I it. I mean, what's the big, what's a bigger problem than that? You know, it, it's Nothing. The, 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 right? root, the root of all. It's the root of it point. all. So, but anyway, it's, uh, um, 
don't be disheartened. I, I think that that's, that's an important message to get out there because it is easy to get disheartened. You know, this is an opportunity as they close churches, as they attack our faith, in some ways rejoice because you have, you have been put on this earth at this time to stand and you have a great opportunity. And, and the easiest way of doing that is prayer, just being very mm. prayerful and uh, being a, a sign of joy because the gospel is good news. I always go back to that conversation I had with Father Jeff years ago. He's like, Bill, this, the gospel is good news. We need to be a people of joy, especially when the world is falling all around us. Mm. And we need to remind ourselves of that. We need to lift <laughs> each other up. We need to pray, get closer to God, and use this as a sort of a... A, a vehicle to bring us closer to him who's mm. the source of it all so it's crazy for sure and as saint maximine colby used to say every day that passes brings us one day closer to our eternal salvation <laughs> this is true too <laughs> that was very you know the clock is ticking i guess for all of us <laughs> but before we uh you know uh, hopefully we're not depressing anyone uh, hopefully this is a message of hope amid the craziness we have a saint we do. That we want to talk about. We do as well. have a saint from the uh, the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages, perhaps. I guess I should say yeah. uh, Saint John Damascene. Yeah. Also known as Saint John of Damascus. And, and before you even get into him, yes. let's talk about his day and age because we're talking about how crazy it is now. So well, he, he was well. He was born in um, six seventy five. Six seventy five. Century. So and he died around seven thirty or something like that. Seven forty nine. So so like what fifty years before that? Forty years before that was the birth of Islam, right? 622. Yeah. And within 100 years, so when in his lifetime, the whole Christian world, in, in, in a certain sense, was conquered by the sword, bloodily. The Middle East, Eurasia, North Africa, all conquered. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about churches closing. We're talking churches burning. We're, church, we're talking about looting. We're talking about mass global death you know, and persecution, unlike anything that had ever really been seen, certainly for Christianity at that moment. So that's the day he was born, mm. or in the age he was mm. born. And maybe that can help color this amazing saint that, you know, certainly can be a saint to, for us to pray for. His feast is what, December 4th? December 4th, yes. He died December 4th, uh, 749. And as I said, born in 675 in Damascus, Syria. And he is the patron saint of pharmacists, icon painters, theology students. He's also a doctor of the church. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I know his feast day already passed this month, Billy. Uh, it was last week. But um, he's uh, he's an amazing saint. I really didn't know a lot about him uh, until you suggested that we have him as our saint of the month. He's also one of the fathers of the Eastern Orthodox Church So because he lived in, in the Eastern world. And he spent most of his life in the monastery of St. Sabbath, which is near Jerusalem. And his entire life was spent under Muslim rule. Mm-hmm. And indeed, he was protected by it in, in uh, a certain sense. Um, so he's famous for—well, uh, actually, let me say, as a child, he, his father, uh, who was uh, a minister in the caliphate uh, that they lived in, um, he purchased— uh, Cosmos of Calabria, a monk, an Italian monk who had been captured in these um, raids the, uh, that you that you talked about, um, he purchased him because he wanted his two boys to be educated by by in a classical Christian uh, education by a very learned monk. So he spent a lot of money to to bring this monk into his household. So um, Saint John of Damascene was uh, very highly educated, 
guy in the classical and theological education. And uh, he followed his father into a government position under the Arabs. But after a few years, he left and he went to the monastery and he became a uh, became a monk. So first, he's known for his writings against the iconoclasts who opposed the veneration of images. And paradoxically, it was the Eastern Christian Emperor Leo, Leo III, who forbade the practice. And it was because John lived in Muslim territory, his enemies could not silence him. He wrote about it a lot. Um, yeah, and the, and the iconoclastic movement was an Eastern, really a heresy in a sense, and they would go yeah. around destroying icons and any image that they, any graven image in their in their ideas. And it's, it's, it's important to understand, you know, it, go back to the whole theology of, of images and so forth, you know, because there's, there's even a misconception among many of our Protestant brothers and sisters that say, you Catholics, I mean, you got, you worship these statues. No, we don't. There's nothing new under we, the sun, We, huh, we don't <laughs> worship these statues. You know, that's an image of Mary. We pray to her for her intercession. Yep. Just like I can say, George, can you pray for me? I got one up when I go to Mary because she's before God, right? Yep. She's the mother yep. of Christ. So we don't worship. We don't worship uh, statues or anything like that. We worship God. But we do have brothers and sisters in heaven. And like we have a picture of my family members in my wallet, mm-hmm. we have pictures on our walls of, of great saints that, yeah. we, that we look to for, uh, for inspiration you know, mm-hmm. in their journey. So that, that's well, sort of what happened in the Middle East there. Well, right? he wrote uh, three treatises entitled Against Those Who Revile the Holy Icons. Mm. <laughs> so um, because he lived in uh, Byzantium, in the Byzantine Empire, uh, and he was uh, worked in, uh, you know, he was a, uh, under the protection, therefore, of the caliphate and the caliph, caliph, I'm not sure if I'm saying it correctly. Um, the Christian Roman Empire emperor could do nothing against him. So he could write all he wanted and rail against it. And um, I'm actually going to go back and try to read those because it is amazing. You know, 1300 years ago. The same stuff was happening with this, you know, it's oh, true. you guys yeah. worship icons, you worship stained glass windows and things like that. Yeah, it's a great point you bring. That's that's in the post-Nicene Fathers that mm. work. But it's the same thing like when you read about um, Arianism, you know. Yeah. Um, someone knocks on your door and they're of the Jehovah Witnesses. They have the same yeah. concept. So for to understand their position, read Athanasius, yeah. who wrote against Arianism, right? Because mm. it's the same arguments that popped up, you know, yep. improving the divinity of Christ and all that stuff. So it's a great point, George. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Billy, for uh, pointing that out. Uh, second, he's uh, he, there's a lot of writings that exist still today from him. So we have a, a lot of things that he wrote, um, which is which is pretty cool. And he's famous for his uh, another treatise. Uh, Exposition of the Orthodox Faith, which is a summary of the Greek fathers, uh, of which he was the last of the Greek fathers, really. And it is said that his book is for the Eastern schools what the Summa Theologica of Thomas Aquinas was for the West. Mm. So he's that revered in the Eastern Orthodox uh, Church. And lastly, he's known as a poet, one of the two greatest of the Eastern Church, the other being Romanus the Melodist. Uh, he had a great devotion to the Blessed Mother, and his sermons on her feasts are really well known. Um, so they, sometimes they call him the Doctor of the Assumption mm. um, because he was, uh, you know, he spoke so eloquently uh, about the Blessed Mother uh, and his devotion to her. I guess you got to give a hand to him, huh? <laughs> <laughs> there is a legend, Billy, as you uh, noted, that he had his hand chopped. He was betrayed by, you know, the Emperor Leo the Third, and then Third, and then. The uh, the caliph uh, had his hand chopped off because of it, 
And then uh, St. John prayed in front of the statue of the Blessed Mother, the Holy Theotokos, and asked for his hand to be healed. And he fell asleep, and in a dream, the Blessed Mother said, your hand is healed. And he woke up, and his hand was reattached. And he promised that, you know, if his hand had, was healed, that he would uh, fight the fight to to defend the the, ortho, the true Orthodox faith. So, um yeah, so we got to give him I a hand. The, I love those stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <awesome. laughs> and then he had a model of a silver hand made and attached to the statue. And then they called the statue, quote unquote, of three hand, of the three hands. So So St. John of the three hands. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is that is that what inspired Tolkien, you know? Frodo Frodo of the of the four fingers or nine fingers? <laughs> oh, maybe, yeah. <laughs> he didn't have his finger reattached though. <laughs> no, he did not. Bl- he needed to play to the pray to the blessed mother. <laughs> that, to have see, that was the problem. Instead of, you know, fighting with Gollum, he should have uh, should have prayed <laughs> yeah. to Mary. There you go. <laughs> so awesome stuff. Um, so St. John, pray for us uh, as we uh, as we battle and we fight the fight here today. We'll be back, guys, in just about two minutes and looking forward to uh, a little bit of local news. This is Monsignor John Kozar, National Director of the Pontifical Mission Societies in the United States. In northern Pakistan, a local priest provides an education to the children of sweepers, brickmakers, and day laborers. Father Khalid and his team of five religious sisters operate a network of schools that not only educate, but teach how to promote harmony between Muslims and Christians. Blessed are those who educate the poor, Father Khalid says. They will bring peace to the world. May each of us work to promote peace and harmony in our everyday lives and show others how to do so as well. It's a lesson from the missions. Brought to you by the Pontifical Mission Societies. To learn more about becoming a missionary right where you are, visit our website at onefamilyandmission.org. Remember, if you're baptized, you're a missionary. Through prayer and sacrifice, in word and witness, we're all part of this one family in mission. Hi, this is Peter Herbeck, host of Fire on the Earth, heard right here on Domestic Church Radio every morning, Monday through Friday at 6.45 a.m. Join us as we seek to hear the voice of Jesus, who calls each one of us personally to follow Him, to share in His life, His mission, and His destiny, and to live the high adventure of Catholic discipleship. I hope you can join us every morning, 6.45 a.m. on Domestic Church Radio. God bless you. Love your enemies, do good to them that hate you, pray for them that persecute you. Forgive not once, but 70 times seven. We have to be honest, we have to be just, and we have to be kind and gentle. Listen to the wisdom of Father Benedict Rochelle, weekday mornings at 9 a.m., right here where you are family. Domestic Church Catholic Radio. Welcome back, my brothers, or should I say, hello, are we on? <laughs> See, but I can't hear myself now. <laughs> so apparently, uh, Georgia had a little little mess up there in the beginning, and we're, gonna, we're laughing the entire time uh, through this. <laughs> He's doing it again. <laughs> Can you hear me? Oh, my goodness. See, this stuff, this is precious. <laughs> this is absolutely precious. You're, if you could, I, I wish you had a view, and you could see what I'm watching. This is wonderful stuff. But anyway, we don't want to mess up the Mr. News, Producer right? just took me to task. <laughs> oh, totally some radio did. professional you are. <laughs> 
<laughs> Although we don't claim to be professionals. No, we're amateurs, actually, because yeah. we don't get paid, right? I, I, so. I would even say now we're rank amateurs. We're not even amateurs. Billy, I'm a rank amateur. You, my friend, are in the pro-am. Oh, no, far from it. But definitely St. Joseph is in the pro-am. And oh, this yeah. Is, we're talking about you know, the news. The Pope has... Uh, Affirmed a year to St. Joseph uh, starting December 8th, which so we're already in it. Yep. Started on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Correct. Correct. And also uh, it's it's a 100 year anniversary or 150 year anniversary of of Pius IX's basically proclamation that he's the the head of the Universal Church. Patron patron saint of the Universal Universal Church. Church. Huge. He's a huge saint for me. He is my patron saint. And I can tell you my life miracles have occurred through his intercession and his prayers before God. So, um, my gosh, what, a, what for me, it's almost like a sign, mm. you know, a personal sign, you know, that this is his year. And, and I pray every year a uh, month-long novena to him to, to basically ask him to look over my family that coming year. Mm. You know, so it's a sort of a devotion I've sort of had since 2015. So this is really um, great, a big Bill. deal for me. Yeah, and you just actually did the uh, Father what the Father Calloway? Yeah, the thirty-three day uh, consecrations to Saint Joseph. Um, so very uh, similar. It's it's to the um, true devotion to Mary, right, from uh, Saint Louis de Montfort, yeah. uh, and also Father Gately, the more modern version of that. But Father uh, Donald Calloway wrote a book that came out uh, last year. I think this year, actually, in January, I believe it came out on. Um, consecrating uh how to consecrate yourself and and your family and, and you know to saint joseph so i've been doing that for the last 33 days uh with catholic athletes for christ mm-hmm. uh online in zoom and uh we just finished yesterday and then we're going to finish the the readings we finished yesterday we're going to do the consecration this sunday we've met every sunday night uh for the last five or six uh weeks to do this and um it's been great i learned so much about saint joseph i didn't know before Father Calloway really pulls a lot of things together um, from a lot of saints over the centuries and, and some really groundbreaking revolutionary thought on on St. Joseph and who he is and why, until this time, he hasn't been so much in the forefront. Uh, but now is the time where it's the, becoming the time of St. Joseph. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he uh, writes in there about is that you know, obviously it was in God's divine providence that St. Joseph not be alive, that he pass away before the Passion, right, and before right. Jesus' ministry started. And one of the things he, he writes in there is that um, it was because of— um, so it would not have been confusing to the message yeah, sure. that Jesus was giving. Sort of like John the Baptist had to descend for Jesus to rise. The Correct. Same, same thing, St. Joseph No had one to... comes to the Father yeah, except exactly. through me. And so many times he's talking about his Father in heaven, and they, they, he didn't want it to be confusing for uh, the people that were listening to him, who he was talking about. You could almost argue St. Joseph is, in some ways, spiritually the first martyr to, for Jesus Christ because he had to pass. For Christ to rise. Well, the suffering yeah, the Saint sense. Joseph went through too. Can you imagine knowing what was going to happen to your son mm. and to your wife, but knowing that God's it was God's will for you not to be there to help them through it? The mm. amount of suffering. I mean, the incredible joy he had just to be to live with them for as long as he did. Uh, but uh, the the suffering that he must have had in his heart, the seven sorrow. You know, Father Calloway writes about the. The seven joys and the seven sorrows of St. Joseph and and the sorrows were all that he had to deal with, uh, you know, in his lifetime and knowing what was going to happen. Yeah. 
he's uh he's an absolutely amazing saint um he's a great model for any father for goodness yeah. sakes and, and or worker he's page of saint of workers also yeah but he's definitely a, a saint he's an anti-communist he is he's a terror terror of demons too yeah. i mean <laughs> he he is um someone that every certainly every man but any every person should really start looking to yeah um he would he would subordinate himself to mary in, mm-hmm. in devotion no doubt about it but he needs to be someone that we look to especially in this year of saint joseph and uh, i think what you did with those guys uh with the catholic athletes for christ is an amazing thing and i think a lot of guys should really consider it do you know anyone do you have any friends Start your own uh, devotion. Do 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 the read the book. Do the thirty days devotion and meet on Zoom and stuff and like there, that. And there is a guide in there on how to do it as a group as well. You meet once a week, <clears throat> do the readings yourself during the week, but then it gives you a, a, a guide on how to conduct a, a meeting together yeah. once a week. So it's it's really really good. And you know some one other thing that came out of there too, and it's funny since we're on uh, domestic church media and the EWTN local EWTN affiliate. Now he talks in there about how sometimes there's this image of St. Joseph being a, an older man, right, uh, in the church. And he said, that's that's totally untrue. Yeah. You, you yeah. know, he was a younger man. And, and it, it, it was it's almost an insult to think that, you, you know, that to St. Joseph to say that the only way that he could have been the reason, you know, chased and, and could have taken the Blessed Mother as his wife is because he was older and he didn't have passion, right? Uh, and he totally debunks that theory. And one of the um, lines that he uses is from Mother Angelica. He says, somebody asked her about, you know, was St. Joseph an older man? And she said, listen, honey, older men don't walk to Egypt. <laughs> well, that's, that's, you know, that's a great point. Yeah. And he, he was probably in his 30s or early 40s when he died. I mean, it's all speculation. But he, you're, to your point, he was, but the things he had he to was do. a robust man. I mean, he he, had first of all, he was a carpenter. Yeah. He was a worker, yep. um, and he was, uh, my gosh, he's just, uh, he's an amazing, amazing saint. I cannot encourage you guys more to, to, to reach out Get to him. Get the book, yeah, Father Calloway's 33-Day and, Consecration and there's, to St. Joseph. There's great prayers to St. Joseph, great novenas to St. Joseph. There's that great old 1900-year-old novena to St. Joseph, mm. you know, which is beautiful novena. Um it's just there's there's so many great great devotions and he's someone that you really need to you know get closer to. So Billy, we had a saint of the month, Saint John of Damascus, and now we have the saint of the year, Saint, saint of Joseph. the year, <laughs> and, and my patron who's phenomenal. By the way, that was a Corona cough uh, from uh, outside the uh, hallway. <laughs> I don't mean to make fun about that. Just in these crazy times, it's good to laugh too. It is. Bit, don't you think? We didn't laugh, we'd cry. We wouldn't. I, I have a couple interesting stories. I'm going to, just kind of like things that make you go, hmm. Mm. That's the title of, of this thread of three stories. Things that make you go, hmm. Okay? So, we know that there's a, a clear attack on the church, right? Oh my gosh. In California, they're shutting churches down, but bars and massage parlors are open. I mean, come on. Yeah. There's an attack on the church. <laughs> I got an article here. From the Jesuit educated governor. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> we'll stay away from Sorry. that one. <laughs> but the, so I have an article here from a uh, uh, Catholic news agency that talks about how the pandemic is causing a 40% drop in income to French parishes. Now, you could say, you can universalize that and say that's all over the world that's occurring. Mm. Certainly the economy is being attacked. Uh, presence is being attacked. There's an attack on the church. So I want to paint that as the first article that talks about the attack on the church. On December 21st, the Bethlehem Star is going to be at its zenith, if you will. Well, what is the Bethlehem Star? Well, they some 
astrophysicists and so forth believe it was the star that was the Bethlehem star. What it is is for the Magi. The star Magi, of the Magi yeah. followed. No one's nuts. No one's certain of that, but there's thought because at about six BC it really popped big uh, in the Middle East as well. But what it, what it is is it's a conjunction or near conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter, and. This is the first time in 400 years that the two stars are going to get this close. They're not going to completely overlap, but they're going to get close enough that it's going to appear as one giant star. And that's what oh, happens in But they're not actually stars. They're planets. <clears throat> they're planets, correct. But they appear as a star because they're, they're so bright. They're going to appear because they're bright because they're together. So that's occurring. At its, it's occurring now. The conjunction's occurring now. But on the 21st of December, look into the, I guess, I think it's the western sky, and you'll see this conjunction occur. Hmm. And... That's interesting, you know, we look to the sky for signs. I, I can't help but be like, hmm, especially in light of the fact that the last two days and tonight, there's a chance through uh, coronal mass ejections from the sun that you might be able to see the aurora borealis. From what type of ejections from well, the sun, well, Billy? The sun, the corona? Sun, coronal mass ejections. Coronal <laughs> mass ejections, wow. Right now, he's saying that's so sarcastic. No, no. The look I'm getting from George right now is No, like, we talk cool. about coronavirus, now this coronal mass that, ejections, you know what that was, it's confusing. You know what I feel a, like right now? I feel like Cliff Clavin in Cheers right now with the look <laughs> he just gave. <laughs> and if anyone knows that reference, you just dated yourself, by the way. But anyway, so what's happening is, you know what the, the northern lights are, you know? Sure. You know, you get this beautiful uh, array of of really charged particles is what's mm. happening in the atmosphere. But there's a chance that in the northern part of the United States, anywhere from New Jersey north, mm. going, you know, sweeping down even as, I think, as far south as Kansas, mm. you might be able to see the aurora borealis. Is, it, is so there any signs in the sky? Persecutions of oh, the church. This is, I can't help but say, wow. Sister Faustina, right? The lights she saw in the sky, she predicted there would be lights in the sky in Europe before World War II well, That's started. Fatima, Our Lady of Fatima, and that was in 1938 that was seen, yeah. Whether that was the aurora borealis or some other miracle, my gosh. That's mm. why I can't, I couldn't help but when I'm seeing all these crazy stuff, I, I don't know what's going on, but we all will admit we're in interesting times. So yeah. that's why this is things that make you go, hmm. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> I wonder, Billy, if it's just that I've gotten older and I'm just noticing everything more or, you know. What do you think, Mr. Producer? Are the producer? times really. <laughs> is it that George is getting older or is things odd to him? <laughs> George is getting odd, so yeah. it's not. It's it's a combination. It's, it's, it's a combination. There are the times are, are trying, and and we we're in the end times, right? But George, we're in George times. But I've also uh, I've gotten older, so it's just you know. But I wonder, you know, old people our age, even in in the seventies or say around World War Two, right? It must seem like the world was coming apart at the yeah, seams. No. You know what? But here's II. here's where I think it might be a little different. There's always been major events, right? Yeah. No doubt about no more. My gosh, that's a major event. But it just seems like it's from every quarter. Yeah. It's coming from every quarter. Attack on the church, attack on society, attack <laughs> it's just everywhere. Um I mean it's it's and you just look at the twentieth century. Twentieth century alone has had more people killed in war and non-war than every century combined. Well, when the you thing look is, at communism the, and, and fascism and abortion. It's like yeah, unpar- the, It's like the thing is, the attack is, I guess, much less overt these days. Like in World War II, it was a clear enemy in, in Hitler mm-hmm. and the Nazis and fascism. Right today, the enemy it's the enemy from within. 
right? <laughs> More it's, than and outside. It's a lot, I think in some ways we've been in a pot because it's been a slower buildup. Whereas like yeah. World War II, the tanks rolled in in 1938 to Poland. And you that knew was who clear. to fight. Boom, you knew yeah. right away. Whereas this, it's 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 from every it's cultural. It's, it's cultural. Yeah. And again, I want to reiterate in these times, you know, you listening to this have been called to these times for a reason. So you have purpose. You have purpose driving right now. You have purpose if you're in a wheelchair right now, listen to this. You have purpose if you're in a nursing home, listen to this. You have purpose if you're listening to this on the radio, if you're watching it on podcast. If you're in the smallest town in Uzbekistan, you have purpose in this because you were brought to the world at this time amid this crisis to be part of the solution. Mm. So, I mean, what an opportunity. I mean, that's if you embrace it like that, wow. That's true. Things that make you go home, right? Yeah, no, that's true, Billy. And you know what? It's 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 funny because um, Pope Francis, in this apostolic letter that he wrote entitled, you know, Patris Corday, he writes about, um, you know, that, that St. Joseph was a father in the shadows and mm. that, you know, thanks to the coronavirus, a lot of us have, uh, we... He says a, a lot today. We know the man who goes unnoticed is uh, in the world. The man who goes unnoticed, a daily, discreet, and hidden presence, who nonetheless played played an incomparable role in the history of salvation. Says that the the COVID nineteen pandemic has helped us to see more clearly the importance of ordinary people. You know, who yeah. even though they're far from the limelight, exercise patience, offer hope every day. And they resemble St. Joseph in this, you know? And, you know, and just the power of one person's personal prayers is, is immense. And we, I think of uh, the diary of St. Faustina, whereas Christ basically said Poland would completely fall to absolute ruin. There would be no more Poland if it weren't for your prayers. One mm. person. Yeah. One saint. And that's, you know, again, I think that's the message that you feel powerless. When you watch the news and you see what's going on in the world, it, you can feel very powerless. Mm. But see, that's the devil, right? He's got the he's got the message. He wants you to feel powerless. He wants you to despair. The reality is, I mean, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, and you can look at that mountain and say, "Move," and it'll move. That's the words of Christ. Everyone can play a heroic role. It doesn't matter who you are. In fact, you play the most heroic role mm. when you're the one picking up the beads or saying the prayers and so forth. So, I think yeah, that's the uh, the call for today. Embrace the challenge. Yeah, yeah. Your 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 purpose in life. So. so what else, any other uh, new any other things that will make me go hmm, Billy? I, I think our next <laughs> guest might make you go hmm in a very um, uh, musical way. Yeah, because we we actually have uh, Nicholas Will, yeah. who uh, coming up as our guest, who uh, I guess is a professor in uh, sacred music and so forth, right? Yeah, he founded uh, the St. Gregory Institute of Sacred Music, and he's. Uh, professor at Steubenville, uh, Franciscan. So, so George is going to grace us when we come back and sing for us uh, his his rendition of Ave Maria. How that'll about be, that, George? That'll be far from grace. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to scare anyone. George is then, not Then Mr. That. Producer should really turn my mic off <laughs> permanently. <laughs> permanently. <laughs> Shut it down. And we do, he does have a switch for that, by the way, and he's got his finger on it right now. So listen, we're going to be back in about two minutes, and we're going to be back with Nicholas Will. My family left the church because of a, a, a very negative experience with a specific priest. And that took my whole family away from going to church for a long period of time. There were other Catholic churches and there were great Catholic churches and great priests, but we stopped because of that one specific instance. And in a way, I was, I was cheated out a big part of my journey in my life uh, because we weren't in the church. In life, it seems like we're always enslaved to something. 
And I think that's, that's basically where our, what our culture is all about right now is we are, we are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, but there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. My involvement in the church, my relationship with God is who I am. It's what gives me my identity. Thank God I'm home. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. We asked people all over America, what have you done for your marriage today? Boy, I gave a huge hug this morning, like a really big squeeze that lasted forever. Great kiss. Those things are really important. <laughs> she got a really short haircut that she hated, and I wrote her a note and put it up on the mirror saying that she was a cute girl with cute hair. What have I done for my marriage today? We've actually organized a date night tonight. What have I done for my marriage today? Wow, that is a great question. Uh, I took the baby while she worked. I got up with the baby while he slept. Yeah. <laughs> today, I sent an email to my husband and I said, you rock. Well, I've done today what I usually do, and that is obey. I listened to my wife uh, when we talked on the telephone today. She really likes it when I listen. What have you done for your marriage today? Little things can make a big difference. For ideas, go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Communication Campaign. Welcome back, my brothers. This is Bill Maher. I'm here with my co-host, George Rose, and we are Brothers in Arms. That's right. We're also CIA, Billy, Catholics in Action. There you go, baby. And we are here with Nicholas Will, professor of liturgical music for Mount St. Mary, if I'm getting this right, and Franciscan University of Steubenville. Did I get this right, Nicholas? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, uh, Mount St. Mary Seminary in Emmitsburg and uh, Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. That's awesome. Hey, Nicholas, this is George Rose. How you doing? Thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show this evening. We appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, good, uh, good to talk to you, George. And um, you were also founded uh, the St. Gregory Institute of Sacred Music. And you've done, I, I look at your, your bio and um, your picture, you look so young. <laughs> but you've done so much. It's incredible. Uh, well, photos uh, photos can be deceiving. I think I need to update my press photo. I got a little more gray hair than uh, <laughs> than I think that shows. Don't we all these days? But yeah, indeed. For the last two years, you also served as the director of liturgical music at the Pontifical North American College at the Vatican. Is that right? So, did you just get back from from Italy? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, well, we got back in the spring um, when things started to get a little bit. Uh, uh, Harry, I don't know if you heard, but there's a little pandemic going on. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Italy was uh, getting, you know, a little, um, uh, you know, uh, not a, a great place to be in the spring. And so uh, we came home and we've been back since March. Who's we? Oh, I'm sorry. My wife uh, and my two daughters. Oh, great. Oh, you're married. How old are your two daughters? Uh, just turned four and seven. Wow, great ages. Every day is Christmas. That's awesome. Oh, I know. It's uh, <laughs> it, it's a blast, although it seems like they're going on 14 and 17. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, every, every, day is a, every day is a great blessing with them. So that, that's awesome to hear, Nicholas. And, you know, our, our good friend Trent Beatty at the National Catholic Registry said, oh, you guys got to interview Nicholas Will. He's, he's a really good young man, and he'd be a great interview. And, and you know, I saw, um, I didn't watch the whole interview yet, but I know you were on with Father Mitch Pacwa last week. Um, yes. On his show, and, and 
that's um, that I watched the beginning. It was very, it looked like a very interesting interview. Um, why, don't, why don't you tell us, I guess, a little bit about what your you know what what's your main because there's a few different things you do. What's your main uh, job, I guess, is it as a professor at Steubenville at, at Franciscan, mm-hmm. or is it uh, running the St. Gregory Institute of Sacred Music? And you know, what's your main job, and and why why are you doing what you do? Sure. Well, my full-time job uh, is uh, director of liturgical music and, and lecturer at uh, Mount St. Mary's Seminary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm there a few days a week uh, and do a little bit of work from home. So I live in Pittsburgh, but work in Emmitsburg. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I do a little bit of teaching at Franciscan University. Uh, and then on top of that, I have the St. Gregory Institute, uh, which I founded. So I'm mostly occupied with, with teaching and, and forming seminarians and um, providing liturgical music for them. Uh, but the St. Gregory Institute came about a couple of years ago, well, a little over a year ago, because uh, I was seeing a need in the church for formation of um, church musicians in, in traditional mm-hmm. Catholic sacred music. Mm-hmm. In in my university position uh, at Franciscan, I'd been teaching there uh, for about the last seven years, uh, in my seminary work when I was in Rome, um, you know, people come to me and say, look, I'm a musician, I have a degree in music, uh, but I don't know a lot about sacred music, but I want to. You know, I want to I become a church musician, I want to do things right. Uh, and I have seminarians coming to me and say, hey, when I become a pastor, and say I have a musician who's a good musician, but they don't know anything about Gregorian chant or mm-hmm. polyphony, or maybe they're not a great organist. Where do I send them? And, you know, I realized that there are a lot of organizations that do wonderful educational work, um, short-term things, weekend workshops, week-long workshops. And, of course, we have, um, you know, our, our universities and, and conservatories that, that teach uh, uh these skills and music, but there was nothing in between, you know. Uh, there was nowhere for people to go who wanted to get really intensive training um, short of a, a degree. And I thought, well, you know, I've been teaching for a while, and and I'd like to think I know what I'm doing. So I thought, I think I can, you know, make this uh, make this work uh, on my own. And so we partner with some local um, churches here in Pittsburgh that give us space to teach in, and, and we provide liturgical music, um, in, you know, as a sort of uh, we provide music that they normally couldn't mm. produce uh, in return for letting us use their spaces, and and all of our education is grounded in the liturgy. You know, so we don't study Gregorian chant or polyphony as sort of an abstract topic, which is often how it's done in the universities. You know, even in Catholic universities, we sometimes the the art is is divorced from the liturgy, which is never how it was intended. So, you know, all of our students sing regularly and play regularly for the liturgy, and uh, we've been able to get some really fantastic faculty from here uh, in, in Pittsburgh, some of the best church musicians in the city. So uh, God's been very good to us, really excited about how things are going. That's amazing that, stuff. That's great. Do you ever play at uh, Father Larry Richards Parish? He's in uh, Pittsburgh, isn't he? No, he's, oh, he's, he's Erie. Pennsylvania. He's way north. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. You, you know, Nicholas, I, I think um, what you're doing is so important because there's been such a drop-off from the 1960s in, in liturgical music. And and I think it's so important that we have it because it helps reveal to a, to a, to a degree the mystery of heaven and the mystery of, of the faith and on, on the flip side, it can it, it actually it can serve to actually push people away even from from worship, which in itself is a mystery. 
So it's something that I think is really important. I, I think of, um, you know, the Eastern, the Eastern Church is really probably suffered a lot less than we did in the West with regards to, right. I, you know, icons and, and music. And I, I can't help but think about how powerful it is. I, I know you're familiar with, um, what is it now, the powers of heaven um, in the Eastern Church where there's this beautiful chant that occurs. And right when the priest is ready to raise the Eucharist, they explode. It's absolutely stunning to behold. And it really brings the reality of that mystery. And that's true in Western history with the Gregorian chant and so forth, but it's it's like sort of lost. Right. So maybe for the people that are driving and, and, and the people that are listening to this, explain the importance of liturgical music in worship, if you don't mind. Sure, yeah. I mean, you've really hit the nail on the head. I mean, uh, I, I think in the 1960s and 70s, there was a desire to uh, make the liturgy look and sound a little bit more like the world, you know, uh, rightly or wrongly. And I think now uh, a lot of Catholics are longing for something that's a little otherworldly. Um, and, and, you know, we're longing to recover our, our traditions and things that are transcendent and, and, and not of the world. Um, you know, when we talk about Gregorian chant, it's, um, it's a little bit hard to define that without, you know, listening to it, but I think most people can, can have heard it and, and can identify it. It's, it's uh, in the West, our chant tradition is, it tends to be unaccompanied, you know, single voice uh, in Latin, although people are writing chant in, in English and Spanish now and, and all sorts of other languages. Um, and, you know, the important thing to remember is that music developed with the liturgy. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't something that was invented later on. The musical tradition and the liturgical tradition, the Roman rite itself, developed along with the music. So when Christians began to worship in basilicas in the 4th century, they needed music for that, for the procession, which they didn't have before. So um, they began to write uh, the introit, the, the entrance music, the entrance chant. And so Vatican II says... The Church's sacred music tradition is um, a treasure of inestimable value greater than that of any other art, mm. which is because mm. it's part of the liturgy. It's not extra. And if you think about that, you know, greater than that of any other art. So all the great artistic traditions in, in the Western Church, you know, um, Notre Dame Cathedral and, and uh, the Pietà of Michelangelo and, and the, you know, the great painters, everything, we're, the tradition is so rich. But but Vatican II said, well, you know, sacred music is more important than all of those because it's part wow. of the liturgy. Yeah. And so yeah. what we do as as church musicians is is much more than just kind of picking our favorite songs to sing at Mass. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the church has um, um, prescribed certain things to be sung, certain texts and melodies to be sung um, that have developed over the course of 2,000 years. And, uh, and we got away from that a little bit uh, uh, in the middle part and latter part of the 20th century, and, and so, and, you know, there are a lot of us who are, who are striving to, to rekindle, that, uh, rekindle that art and that tradition. You know, you bring something up that I have to even, I have to point out. Um, you, you mentioned two words. You mentioned worldly, and you mentioned transcendent. And it's interesting because it, it dawned on me that as the church got more worldly, th- many of the people in the church left it and got very worldly. <laughs> Whereas right. when, when, you, when you're singing... First of all, saying that what did Augustine say uh, to 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 sing is to like pray twice, right? So mm. it's like you, it's prayerful, and and when you take it into the transcendent, you 
seek the transcendent. So it brings you closer to faith. It brings you closer to God. Whereas the worldly stuff, it's sort of like brought you away. It's, it's, it's very interesting, the language you chose, because you can almost write a write an article just on that concept right there. No, I, I agree. I mean, and I think it's important to remember that, you know, in the liturgy, we express our praise, we express our love for God and our Lord, but we're also formed by the liturgy. You know, the liturgy forms us. It's a two-way street. And it's the same way with music, right? You know, our music is expressive of our joy, of our sorrow, of our contrition. But the music itself that we sing and that we hear at Mass has an effect on us, you yeah. know? And, and I think you see that, I mean, I don't know what the statistics are, but there are so many Roman Catholics who don't believe in the true presence anymore. Well, yeah. I mean, if we've been singing communion hymns for the last 50 years that have sort of wishy-washy theology. Mm. And I mean, we, we can't be surprised, right, <laughs> that no one mm. believes anymore. You know, the, the, the words that we sing at Mass carry enormous weight, you know, uh, with, with how we're formed in, in, in the faith. And so that's why the Church has been careful to safeguard, you know, what, what we sing at Mass and, and how we sing it. Yeah, it's really interesting, Nicholas, that you said, um, I, I never heard that before about uh, sacred music being more important than any other art form. Uh, that, that's really fascinating to me. And, uh, and amazingly, it's, it's a living art form, right? Mm. You, you right. Can, you, right. You can't, you can look at the notes on a piece of paper, but that doesn't really mean much, right? But to hear it, you know, so the, the author of life is, um, you know, gives us, uses us to, to, uh, you know, bring the transcendent to the mass. You well, know? well, it's an amazing point to that, George, that science can't even explain music. It's transcendent in itself. Mm. You know, when you look at, you know, what, what makes humanity different from the animal kingdom and all those things, of course, we know we have an intellect and we have spirit, you know, we understand this theologically, but science is stumped by music. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's, and this is a big part of the reason. I, I think, I think uh, we were made for music in some ways. Yeah. And, and, and you've devoted your life to this, uh, Nicholas. It's really uh, commendable. You're, you're, you're a rare person um, because, you know, you're, you're an organist by trade, I believe, right? Um, mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. That's your your main instrument. And, I'm, and I've seen, you know, you were doing a concert series, I think, this summer. I saw you giving a concert um, uh, on, on YouTube. It was about 45 or 50 minutes. And then, all, but also in between songs, turning around and explaining the music you're about to play and why it's significant and all that. And I think that's... That's really good to hear. I mean, I'm 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 a history buff, and I always like to know where things came from and why we're doing these things, and that's important. And you're really good at uh, at intertwining that with the mu- with your music. Um, so, I, I'd I'd like to ask you too. Um, you're you know we always like to ask uh, our guests you know what your glory story is. Like, how were you? Did you were you brought up as a cradle Catholic? Did you have uh, uh, a white light moment like St. Paul get knocked from your horse or, or how, how did that work for you as you were growing up? That's a great question. I mean, uh, I have a very unglamorous answer for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I did grow up as a cradle Catholic. Um, I'd say that, you know, my, my family and I, we went to mass every week. And I mean, I, I think that my catechesis and my involvement with the church was kind of typical for a lot of young people growing up in the 90s. Um, uh, I 
ended up going to a Catholic Me- university. Meaning it wasn't and, that great? And, you know, not, uh, <laughs> but not because it was Catholic, you know, just because they, they had a good music program that I, that I wanted to study at. And, um, you know, wasn't really going to Mass once I went to college. Weirdly enough, I was playing at a Protestant church uh, as an <laughs> organist, so I was like, well, it's not a big deal if I don't go to Mass. And, of course, hadn't been to confession since my confirmation. And um, mm. by the grace of God, I met some really serious Catholics, some some serious Catholic men who kind of urged me to uh, uh, take this a little more seriously, and and started doing some reading. And but really, for me, what really changed things for me is um, going back to confession. Mm. You know, uh, I was probably a sophomore in college, started going to confession regularly, and it just changed everything. You know, started going to uh, Eucharistic adoration once in a while, which I had never done growing up. Um, and then, you know, things just sort of started snowballing. You know, I, I even as an undergraduate, uh, I didn't really have any interest in Gregorian chant. I just loved the organ, you know, I loved playing the, the, the organ. And then I started to discover this music uh, that I had never heard growing up as a Catholic. And I thought, well, what what is this? You know, I, I've been uh, I've been robbed. We've all been robbed. You know, even we never heard any of this. And uh, so toward the end of my time uh, as a as as an undergraduate, I, I started really studying and, and, and getting into these um, specifically Catholic musical forms, and decided, well, this is this is what I'm going to dedicate my career to. Uh, and my wife uh, now, uh, we were dating then. She was a Protestant, and uh, she um, was feeling uh, some urgings to to look into you know becoming Catholic, and she went through RCIA, and I mean, it's just amazing how God has guided. All of this, the Holy Spirit's uh, been there throughout all of this, but uh, it has taken us um, in places that we didn't expect to go when we were 18 years old, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a question. For for those that are listening to this uh, uh, radio program that are not familiar with Gregorian chant, explain that to them. Sure. So um, Gregorian chant is um, kind of a... We could also say Western style chant because, uh, you know, as you well know, if you go to a Byzantine church or you go to an Orthodox church, they have a different musical tradition, different melodies, different modes, different language. So uh, Latin chant or Gregorian chant in the West um, developed over a long period of time. Um, what we typically identify as Gregorian chant really developed around the time of Charlemagne, around the eighth, uh, ninth, tenth, eleventh centuries. Uh, of course, there were there were roots before that. Um, there was a, a style of singing in Rome. There was a style of singing in Gaul and in Spain and, and whatnot. So Gregorian chant sort of combines some of those elements um, in, in that medieval period, and that really became the standard um, a way of singing. Um, liturgical chant in the West uh, from the medieval period forward. And uh, again, it's typically unaccompanied, you know, always uh, one voice. Now, out, out from that grew music that we call polyphony, meaning music for, for multiple voices, uh, particularly in like the 14, 15, 1600s, we start to see uh, composers writing music for uh, utilizing harmony, you know, multiple voices. But that all grew out of you know, the chant tradition, the Gregorian mm. chant tradition. It's funny, Nicholas, as you're describing the Latin chant, I have to confess that I have an image in my head from uh, Monty Python. <laughs> oh, sure. Uh-huh, <laughs> with uh-huh. the monks uh, walking through the streets, right, with the, the hitting themselves in the forehead with the <laughs> with the board um, while they're doing the, the Latin chant. It just makes me laugh. Um, 
But <laughs> what for, say for me or for, you know, some of our listeners who would like to hear more of the Gregorian chant, is there a particular CD or, or anywhere you can point us to go to get something we can listen to, even say like in the car or, you know, at home on, on you know, before we go to bed and, and stuff like that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the There are a couple of, of religious orders that have put out some really great recordings in the last few years. The one that immediately comes to mind uh, are the Dominican Sisters in Nashville. Uh, I think they've put out a number of recordings, and I think they probably have uh, some recordings available online on YouTube. Oh, great. Um, and they're really wonderful singers, and it's just it's a whole different experience hearing religious Sing this mm. music, right? Mm. You you can hear their love for our Lord in, in every note, and uh, that's a particularly fine uh, group. So I'd encourage people to to check out their work and and to support them. Well, you're that's you're great. One, you're one of the few people that actually made George and myself put pen to hand, and yeah. we both wrote that down. These are actually <laughs> these these would make great Christmas presents, wouldn't they, yeah. Bill? I'd stocking oh, exactly. stuffers, yeah. stocking exactly. stuffers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go look it up today. How about you? Do you have any um, CDs or albums out that we could let the guys know about? Well, I don't have any uh, albums out uh, of uh, uh, polyphony, or I'm sorry, of, of Gregorian chant, no. Um, I do have a, uh, a little recording of um, some um, polyphony that I did with the, the choirs at the North American College, um, and that is uh, available on um, uh, the North American College's website. That's PNAC, P-N-A-C.org. And, um, uh, but, uh, no, no, I, uh, leave the, the chant recording, uh, to, to, uh, others, you know, it's a, it's a, a difficult uh, thing to record chant really well. It helps if you all live together and pray together multiple times a day. I think that's mm -hmm. why the, the religious orders, you know, yeah. do a really great job with that sort of thing. Yeah, that that's, that's great. Well, thanks for re really for opening up our eyes and ears to, uh, something we may not have been exposed to before. I know I, I, Certainly haven't been. I'm I'm more of the uh, the music I, I Christian music I love to listen to is more in the in the charismatic world. You know, like our God is an mm -hmm. awesome God and Christian rock and and all that. You know, Star ninety nine is the uh, the big station out here in uh, in New Jersey. But um, this is great. And and the awesome thing about our Catholic faith is that there's room for all of it, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but we're just about out of time um we're winding down and we really want to thank you nicholas for coming on and yep. and being such a great guest and just and, and for teaching us thank you oh it's been a pleasure thank you for having me god bless and god bless your ministry thank you you as well my brothers be good as you drive out there we won't be talking to you till the new year so you have an amazing solemn advent an absolutely celebratory christmas and pray. We need your prayers. God bless, brothers.